really immature, uh, this would be the time when you would head out the door to Children's Church. Um, if anybody wants to preach a sermon, I'll join them. And it's an immature joke. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so if you got kids with you or going to Children's Church, head that way. Uh, I don't see any. What happened? Do we not have any kids here this morning? Well, Abby, but you're too old for Children's Church, baby. Uh, let's pray. Uh, let's pray then. Oh, she's leaving now. <laughs> I upset her. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Help us to, well, help me to, to unpack your word. Help me to bring forth the, the treasures that are in it. I pray that you would help me to be, uh, be faithful. Uh, help me to be wise in what I do. Um, and what I say, uh, and, and Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would move beyond me, uh, Lord, beyond what I, what I've got to bring to the table. Um, I pray that, that you would speak in, in words that touch people's hearts that, that's beyond what I have to say. Um, and Father God, I pray that you would be the folks who are here this morning, touch their hearts, um, creating them just, just good, good ground for planting, Lord. Uh, move in their lives, help them to know you more through hearing your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we are. <clears throat> All right. So uh, we finished up talking about uh, talking about um, Sabbath last week or two weeks ago, right? Uh, and and I was trying to decide what to do next. And I realized I'd preached pretty much all of the Gospel of John, and I preached First John. So I'm going to preach Second John and Third John in the coming weeks, right? And then Jeremy Erie, who is in the back doing slides for me. Um, Jeremy's going to be uh, preaching in a couple of weeks because he's got a class and he's got to do a sermon for a class. And so now he's a trained preacher, which is a little like sending your kid to a, or your dog to obedience school. Like I went through it and I, I know how to lay down and, you know, play dead and stuff like that. Um, and, and so Jeremy will be doing that for a grade. So we need to heckle him a lot. Um, but uh, so he'll be preaching the fourth. Does that sound right? Um, all right, let me see if I can make my slides work. Uh, can you bump me up to the first slide here? Um, so what we're going to be doing this, this morning, um, again, we're going to finish up the Johns and I, I, uh, every time I study John, I am kind of humbled by how much is there and how heavy it is and how deep a thinker John was. And I mean, the, the early church was so blessed to have a, um, to have a collection of some of the, the most brilliant people like ever. Um, um, and, and John is um, underappreciated because he's so difficult to grasp. Um, he stands right on the line between Jewish and Greek thought. And so there's some weird like, like weight to what he has to say. Um, but so we're going to be doing second John here. Um, and, and last two weeks ago at the men's retreat, I talked, I, I talked through this book. Right. And I, I used an illustration at that time. I don't see Mark. Where's he at? Um, and Mark was was friendly enough to show up for me in his gear. This is this is Mark's soldier wear. Um, he wears it to drink coffee in the morning. Um, and, and so we're out there and Mark is wearing this this uniform uh, bonus points. If anybody can tell me what it is. Yes, it is his beekeeper costume. <laughs> What? Uh, Michael, can you just jump in, man? I know you can. 
Yes, Mark is wearing the uniform and the gear of a, of a British soldier from the late 1800s. And specifically, when Mark and I met, we discovered a mutual love for a film. Uh, the film is Zulu, right? And if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Um, there, it's actually the second in a series, Zulu Dawn and Zulu. And they tell the story of the worst defeat the British, the first one tells the story of the worst defeat the British ever suffered during the colonial era. And in, in the 1870s, I don't have my notes for the specifics of these battles, but I, I'm going to do my best to remember them off the cuff, so I might be a little inaccurate. Um, in the late 1870s, the um, British in Africa, the colonial forces, picked a fight they shouldn't have picked, right? They had no reason to fight the Zulus, Right? But they went out and they, they started a fight. And then they assumed that the Zulus would not be any match for a modern British army. And as it turns out, like, they were completely wrong. And they got all of this information about the army they were about to face and they ignored it because they assumed the Zulus didn't know what they were doing. And then they made some really huge tactical errors, like trying to protect a camp and a mountain that they didn't need to protect at the same time. And they spread their army out over the space of several miles. Is that accurate? Um, 1,200, was it 1,200? 1,500 British soldiers faced off against 14,000 Zulus. And now Zulus were no ordinary soldiers. These guys, um, eventually the British started treating them like cavalry because they were so fast on foot. Uh, a Zulu soldier could run 50 miles in a day. Um, they, they literally just annihilated everyone near them. Um, there's a story about a Zulu king that is faced, you know, like in peace negotiations with another, with another king. And he says, well, why should we be afraid of you? And the Zulu king orders a dozen of his soldiers to jump off a cliff in the distance. And they all jump off and die. He says, my soldiers will do that until every one of them is dead, and they'll march into your guys and wipe them out. They will do anything I tell them to do. And the opposing king surrendered because, like, dude, that's crazy, right? And, and the Zulus were crazy. And so, like, not only did the British screw up royally, I mean, they actually deployed, like, the British, they were good at mass fire. They deployed a yard apart. They're so far apart that you could run between them, right? Like, they utterly failed, and they were destroyed. They were destroyed to a man. There was not a single survivor of the Battle of Islawanda, right? Or did I say it wrong? All right, that. <laughs> um, and it was literally because they went out, they didn't, they didn't fight the way the British were supposed to fight. Um, later that day, there was a second battle, the Battle of Rourke's Drift, which was the British Alamo, right? 170, 140, you're going to come up? <laughs> 140 um, British, British soldiers defended a mission against about 4,000 Zulus, and they won. Um, it was the British Alamo, except the British won the Alamo, and they only lost 10 guys, I mean, they, they, they won good, in fact. But there are a bunch of differences between these battles. The difference, the biggest difference is when the British fought at Rourke's Drift, they stood shoulder to shoulder and they fought, like, assuming they were probably going to get killed, right? They didn't underestimate their enemy. They stood back to back and fought together. They supported each other. They were, like, they were prepared. And, in fact, they actually got a combat engineer who came through and, like, got attached to them. And he designed, like, their, their defense around, like, good, uh, 
around good like Battle Doctrine. It is a fantastic movie. You should watch it, like Zulu. Um, the reason I'm talking about this, at this retreat, I had Mark come out wearing, wearing his British uniform uh, gear. He doesn't have the uniform yet. He will have that for next year. Um, and I, I showed up to morning. I taught on this, and so Mark wore that, and I showed up to morning devotions in my pajamas. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy pajamas, mind you. Um, my bathrobe in my slippers with my morning coffee, right? And the reality is, like, in that first couple of battles, the British were like me. They showed up in their bathrobe. They were not ready, right? They were not prepared. They were as ill-prepared as they could get, and they got stomped. Um, at Rourke's Drift, they were Mark. They were prepared, and they stood together, and they, and they succeeded. What does this have to do? By the way, here's me in the helmet with a rifle. Uh, and there's Jeremy Eccles, <laughs> which is one of my favorite pictures of him. Um, I also have a few other people from church, so I got blackmail photos. Um, <laughs> so here's the background. Here's how this relates to First John. Um, John the Apostle lived a long time. He is the very last guy alive from the original 12, right? 13 if you include Paul. This, these letters were written well after everyone else was dead. And it's as the theology of the church began to evolve and grow, there were some crazy things that started to appear. Most notably was the belief, um, were beliefs about Jesus like being divine but not a man, right? Um, like that, that Christ was not really a man. He was just this like ghostly figure his whole life and like that this spiritual thing connected with this guy and that he left at the crucifixion and like this this heresy that kind of evolved it's it's called proto-gnosticism it's the early phases of gnosticism look it up if you want to read some pretty fun stuff Um, and what it was was it was an attempt to take the popular roman mystery religions of the day and glue them to christianity to make it more appealing to the world and like so the church is fighting this and a lot of people from the church have abandoned the faith because they want to be like in with this cool new movement right the problem is that it's not christianity right like it it's inaccurate as to who jesus was um and in fact actually christianity was deeply offensive to most people of the first century world because um it emphasized things that were really contrary to the popular like like value system um, and so John is writing a letter, um, the first, second, and third John are all in sequence, right? And he's writing a letter that is like a war correspondence. Most commentaries call it like a war correspondence. It is a letter to a church that is besieged by false teachers. They're everywhere in their community, and they're people they used to go to church with, and they're infiltrating the congregations, and they're, they're creating problems. And so John is writing to these people to address, like, hey, you guys are in this fight, and, like, like here's my encouragement, and here's my warnings, and here's this. So this is what Second John is. It's actually what Third John is as well. First um, John is a much more in-depth version of that, right? And First John, like, like, we read this in relation to First John, we can learn a whole lot from the two together. Um, so that is that. Um, the biggest thing that John emphasizes, and he emphasizes it over and over and over again, is that the church's best bet is to stand close together and be real with each other. Got it? Like, like, and, and this is something, man, the modern church, this is, this is a huge deal, right? I, at this men's conference, this is something that I, 
I, I thought was impressive to watch. I've been to a lot of men's conferences. I've spent a lot of time with churches, church people over the last 20-some-odd years. And, and one of the things I've watched is we have this tendency to act like everything is perfect. You know what I mean? Because you really don't want to let the next guy know that you're a mess because then they know you're a mess, right? And so we kind of, like, we, we wear this facade and we look good. But in reality, a lot of men struggle. Um, and that causes a lot of problems. One of the things this conference talked about was um, how common pornography is amongst men in churches, right? Like where um, the guy who was presenting, like they had this video, and the guy who was presenting talked about being at a, uh, at a group of Baptist pastors, not Church of God, by the way, um, Baptist pastors, like this convention. The hotel was full of, like, Baptist pastors. And when he was paying for his thing, the guy at the counter looked, and he's like, Man, you guys love your triple X movies. I can't believe how many were rented this weekend. But the reality is, the reality is that, like, you go into a modern church. I forget the percentage. Um, it's more than half of men in the modern church, like, who attend church, like, like look at pornography on a regular basis. Like, but we're not going to tell each other because you say that to the next guy, what happens? Then he knows you, you know, you're struggling, right? And a lot of times, guys, you know... They, they don't want to acknowledge this, and they don't want to do it, but they keep going back to it. Um, at this conference, we, at this retreat we were at, like these guys, they're sitting around and they're talking, and they, there are a lot of them that are like, you know what, guys, like he's talking about this, I'm convicted. Like this is something I do, and I'm struggling, and I can't stop, and this is where it's at. And like, I mean, there's probably half the guys I talk to. Mark, you were in a group, like more than half the guys acknowledge that kind of thing, right? Um, I mean, it's a huge deal. It is out there, and it's out there in, like in bulk. Um, and so as we look at Second John, I'm looking at this like there aren't very many pagan teachers joining the church, right? I'm assuming none of you guys don't point. Like <laughs> I, I make fun of Joel Osteen and I make fun of other guys, but like, like in our congregation, this isn't common. But there are things that do besiege the church. People like struggle in their marriages, right? People struggle with their prayer life. People struggle with doubt. People struggle with pornography. People struggle with drinking. People struggle with, I mean, there are things that people actually struggle with. And like, like a lot of times we don't talk about it. And we don't talk about it because we don't want to look bad in front of the other guy. And it's a lot easier to keep things a secret, right? Um, but we end up being like these soldiers, standing too far apart and not like working together. And we get run over. Um, so we're going to jump into John. Man, I took a long time to get to this. Um, this is Second John one to two. The elder, the, the elder is John, right? Elder is a uh, common word that would be used like in the ancient world, like the Jewish folks. They would call their religious leaders elders, and the church adopted it. The elder, John, to the lady chosen by God and to her children. Most scholars agree the lady chosen by God is not a specific lady, but a congregation. Right? And her children are the people, right? The members. And so he's like, hey, church and your members, whom I love in the truth. Now, love and truth are two words that John uses a lot, and they are loaded. I mean, like super loaded, um, because they have a lot of weight to them. When he says he loves them in the truth, truth for John goes beyond just like false true, right? Truth is about, like, Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate truth. He is God manifest. He is the substance of truth. You get what I'm saying? Like, he is the substance of awesomeness. Like, like, like all that is true, 
like boils down to who Jesus is. We can know God. We can know who we are. We can know about the creation. We can know all things like, like through our connection to Jesus. And truth in that way, um, like it is inside us, it is through us, it, it manifests itself in our lives. When you meet somebody who like comes to know Jesus in a radical way, like, like you can watch their life be transformed. Um, and some of you all have had the blessing to have that happen, where you meet somebody who like, like is, is a mess, and then they, they find Jesus, and Jesus like fixes everything. Um, I read a story about a, uh, a revival that happened in Washington uh, during the Second Great Awakening, where the miners, like there was this big revival amongst the mining towns, and the miners like were so convicted they stopped swearing, and the animals wouldn't obey them anymore, like in the mines, because the, uh, they weren't swearing at them, and they didn't understand the language without the swearing. Like they, they, had to, they had to retrain their donkeys to drag coal out of mines or whatever. Um, like, it, like encountering Jesus in a big way is life-changing, not just language, but like, like we become different people. That's what the, what the scriptures teach us. Like that's the objective. Love is about like living out, and, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, and not only, excuse me, and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Now, so John says, listen, I love you guys, and I love you like in – in the truth and because of the truth, like all of us who live in the truth, we all love you. And what John is emphasizing here is that these guys are a unit, right? Um, they are together, they are one, they are a part of each other, and they need to stand together and stand close because you take care of each other, right? Um, the worst places I have ever been in my, my Christian life, I have gotten to by being alone and not, ta- not talking, not confessing, not leaning on, not anything, like just standing alone. Like that is the surest way to get lost and to get messed up, right? And the only way I've ever found my way out of those places is by talking to other believers. Because we are here for each other. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that um, the value of confessing to other people is because we don't really understand God. We do wicked things, and then we say, God, I am really sorry for this one thing, but we're afraid to tell our brother as though our brother is scarier than the God who created everything and can send you to hell. Right? Like, but it's true. Sometimes we're more afraid of each other than we are of God, and that's nuts. Because everybody around you who is a follower of Jesus, like, they're all sinners too. Right? And probably three-quarters of them are pretending they've got it together too, right? Like the reality is that we are all like, like broken and we're all unified in this like awesome reality that we're saved by grace through faith. Um, and that truth will live in us forever, meaning you walk with Christ, you follow him. He will take care of you and he will not abandon you. There's no place dark enough. There is no lost spot like or hole deep enough. Like Jesus will stick with you like if you stick with him. Um, so grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. There's that phrase again, truth and love, right? Um, grace, grace is when you receive something you do not deserve and that you cannot earn. Grace is what we receive in Jesus dying for us, right? Um, God gives us forgiveness. God gives us a way to salvation. You cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. That is awesome, right? That is as good as it gets. Grace is, gosh, grace is what makes Christianity radical. There is no other religion in the world that acknowledges the weight and the horror of sin 
but also acknowledges God's like amazing like grace to sacrifice himself for us. Like that is grace. Mercy comes through grace. So like God gives us his grace and then shows us mercy. He forgives us, he restores us, he makes us new and peace. And the amazing thing, I remember well, shoot, I don't have time to get into that. Um, peace, peace is a gift that comes with these things, right? I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace in my soul because I have Jesus, right? If you wake up in the morning and you're overburdened with, like, like worry, if you're overburdened with what's going to happen today, if you're overburdened with, oh, my gosh, are people going to figure out who I really am, if you are overburdened with, like, fear of, you know, of anything, like, these are not peace. Like, and, and, and ultimately, like, God's mercy and God's grace draw us away from those positions to lean on him. Um, and he'll be with us with truth in, in truth and love. Now, real quick, real quick, real quick. Truth, again, is, like, God manifests in our lives, and love is living out. So that's when we push it out, and it becomes this lifestyle, um, this thing we do. My, uh, how many of y'all got stuck in the snow once this week? <laughs> my uh my my toyota um and and all of you dodge and ford people are going to make fun of me my toyota um i i got stuck a couple times um but one of the things i discovered very quickly was if i put it in four-wheel drive and i turned on the anti slip and then i put it in four low i couldn't drive anywhere that way but i could drive anywhere that way you get what i'm saying because the engine has enormous potential, like all of this strength, and when it's set into the proper gear, it becomes movement and like strong, tough movement, right? And I did get stuck a couple times. That was because I was being stupid. And anyway, um, it's not because I'm a southerner that can't drive in the snow. Um, so this, this, um, this idea of love, like this is... All of the teachings of Christ, all of the reality of Christ, put into gear and applied to the world around us. It's shifting into low gear and living out what Jesus has given us, right? And actually, John calls it walking in the truth in the very next verse. He says, um, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father has commanded us. Now, John says, listen, I am overjoyed that some of you are walking in the truth. And he uses this phrase all over his gospel, all over his uh, letters, because walking in the truth is applying the reality of Jesus in, in real life. Because, like, for ancient Jews, and John was an ancient Jew before he was a Christian, right? Like, for ancient Jews, the Torah and the Talmud and the teachings and all that, it is not just teachings, it is living, Right? And that's really the truth of Christianity. Like following Jesus is not knowing stuff. It is living stuff. Right? It is loving the people around you. It's caring for them. It's providing like, like when they need. And it's, it's coming to them when you need. It is being community and being bound by the Holy Spirit. It is awesome. But like this is walking in the truth. This is like living it all out. Like this true, like true gospel, true like statements about Jesus. Um, now there's a really ugly word in this passage. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. What does that imply? That some aren't, right? Um, This is a church that has suffered casualties. There are people who were followers of Jesus in this place who have abandoned it in favor of these pagan teachings, right? Um, In our world, 
we don't see people as much saying, well, you know what, I'm going to abandon it because I'm going to go and like follow this Roman mystery religion that popped up across town. Um, what we see is um, I'm struggling and I'm walking away because I can't have people know I'm struggling. I mean, I've had people say that to me, right? Um, we see people fall asleep. They just fall out of practice. Man, I got to do this stuff, but I'm so busy. And they put it on the back burner. And eventually the back burner goes out and they don't notice. And they like drown in, in the world, right? Um, we see people get stuck in things like pornography or like having an affair or um, resentment or bitterness. Or they get so focused on like worldly concerns or work or money or what have you that they abandon the faith. Like these are the things that are encroaching the church now. These are the like, like enemy hordes. It's not false teachers at the moment. It is like just the world. It's giving up. Like, and how do you maintain that? Well, you stand close together. It is really, really hard um, to get lost when you're, when you're standing with brothers and sisters, Right? Is it okay to have a hard time with it? Yes. I'm going to acknowledge, guys, there are days when, like, like I have a tough time, you know, doing church stuff. Like, I, I just have a tough time. I have a tough time doing community sometimes, right? Because I get cranky and I get tired and I don't want to talk to anyone. And then my phone rings for the 400th time today. Um, I, a while ago, I, as a joke, I changed my cell phone ringtone to a song that was played. Like, it's a really cheerful song. But it's, like, from a TV episode where a guy's, like, tortured, and they play this, like, really cheerful music over torture. <laughs> like, I put it on my phone so that because I was so frustrated because nobody would leave me alone long enough to take a nap or to, like, read a book or to pray or anything. Like, I'd go for a run in the afternoon. My phone would ring, like, five times while I was out running. You know, and so I changed it because I just, leave me alone. Like, I, I struggle, right? Anybody else feel that way sometimes? I don't want to deal I don't want to do this. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. That's okay. It is okay to struggle. The problem is when we give up on the struggling and get lost. And men, men, I'm talking to you specifically. This is my talk from the men's retreat, and I'm talking to you men. Because men, we don't like to talk to each other. Amen? We like to talk to each other about things that don't matter. We don't like to talk to each other about things that do matter. Um, we don't like to talk to each other about the weighty stuff of the gospel. We don't like to talk to each other about the weighty stuff that, like, hangs on our souls. We would rather, like, swallow hard and, like, go be alone. It's true, isn't it? Like, the problem with that is, is that those things will eat you up eventually, number one. And number two is, if you don't acknowledge things like that to the people around you, then they don't have permission to talk to you. One of the best things I think I've ever done as a pastor, the only thing I think I do really well is I acknowledge that I'm an awful person and that I struggle with sin. <laughs> but I will tell you, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, I have a really hard time talking about this, but I know you struggle too, so it's okay. If you acknowledge your imperfection and your struggle with sin, it gives other people permission to be imperfect with you. But you know what? That is a hard first step, isn't it? It's a hard first step saying, I need Jesus because I'm wicked. It's true, though. I'm wicked and I need Jesus. The only good things you see in me are things that Jesus made happen. Like, if you don't believe me, you, there, I can give you a list of references. There are plenty of people who see the wicked side of me, even people I'm close to. Like, people I love and that I'm, 
you know, like, like dear friends with, I screw up. And sometimes I have to go to them and apologize and repent. And sometimes I got to go to them and say, I'm losing my mind this week. This is what's going on. Like the truth of it is that like the church, the best thing we do is walk in truth together and provide opportunity for each other. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Um, this is what I was saying a minute ago, right? Walk in love, like, like live out this command of love. Um, this is, by the way, John's gospel is the one where we find... Uh, Jesus washing his disciples' feet, right? Um, like humiliating himself in service to the guys around him. Um, in our culture, it's not washing feet. It's, yeah, I, I struggle, isn't it? It's acknowledging imperfection. Um, it's providing space for people to confess and be open and be real. And that is hard because it's not who we are. Like our culture doesn't like that. Um, Beyond that, this is also where we see Jesus, like John's Gospels, where we see Jesus saying, you will know, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another, right? That means that 10 o'clock at night, you call me up and you say, I am in a mess right now. I, I need help. I will give it to you, right? And everybody else in this room should be willing to do that. Right? Um, because that's, that's what it means to love. It means to serve sacrificially. It means to pour yourself out for. It means to like live out this reality of Jesus' teachings and Jesus' examples. Um, men, by the way, men, this is a hard one. I'm going to tell you something you're not going to like that much. Maybe you will. Who knows? Um, if you are a married man, this means you have to do this stuff for your wife. It means you have to love her the way she wants you to love her. It means you say nice things to her. It means you write her love letters if she likes that kind of thing. It means you wash dishes every once in a while. It means you do laundry every once in a while because service is love. Right? I know women saying amen, seriously. I didn't get a single one. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the reality is, though, that if we are going to be in union with each other as the church, as families, as anything, it means that we serve by loving, and love is the lifestyle that expresses the faith, right? I am a follower of Jesus. How do you know I'm a follower of Jesus? Because I love you and I will serve you if I get the opportunity. Um, I watched the Super Bowl, uh, and the best commercial I saw, not because I thought it was a good commercial, I actually thought it was a terrible commercial, but I've been chewing on it for about, a, is it a week now? That, that Dodge commercial with Martin Luther King, where they play, played the part of his speech, and what he said was, um, Jesus taught that to be great in this world is to be a servant to others. That means you don't have to be educated, you don't have to be a genius, you don't have to be better than, you don't have to be more skilled. To be great, really great in the world, you have to serve the people around you. That's what John is saying. You want to be great, you want to follow Jesus properly, love and serve the people around you, forgive them beyond reason, pour your life out for them, that is what we're taught to do because it's what Jesus did. If you're going to walk the way he walked, you have to do that. Um, that's hard, right? Anybody else think that's hard? Is it just me? Like, am I that big a slacker? Like, <laughs> it is hard to serve people when you don't feel like it. It is hard to, like, it's hard to be open with folks. It's hard to, like, like, 
love people enough to like invite them into your life. It is hard. There's what we're taught to do, and it's how we develop lines that don't get run over when the enemy army shows up. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, he's talking about a specific false teaching here, but this applies in other places. Jesus was tempted in a lot of ways, right? Because Jesus was a man, Jesus was tempted with lust. Anybody uncomfortable with that idea? Jesus got annoyed with people, right? Jesus was probably tempted to lose his temper every once in a while. Jesus was probably tempted to walk away from people and say, you know what, I am sick of you being this dumb. Deal with your own problem, right? Jesus was tempted the way every one of us was tempted. It's the truth. Because otherwise, Jesus was not a man. He was God and he was man, right? Because he was God, he was able to overcome that temptation. Because he was a man, he was tempted. And a lot of times we like to turn Jesus into something he wasn't. We like to turn him into this like, you know, well, he, he didn't even use the bathroom. He didn't cry when he was a baby. He didn't, you know, we come up with all these crazy things that like, you know, that Jesus did or didn't do. And we turn him into this guy he wasn't. In reality, Jesus was tempted. And Jesus overcame temptation. Um, and actually, that's fantastic. Because when you struggle with temptation, you can go to him and say, Jesus, I know you struggle with this. I, you know, and I am too. Help me out here. Right? But we don't like to think of Jesus that way. Anybody who puts Jesus in a place where he, he did not live in our world as one of us, like, is denying the basic truth of the gospel. They're taking the power of the gospel away. Um, in this case, like, they're saying Jesus had no flesh. Like, he, he was not really a man. But the modern era, we do this. We turn Jesus into some magic creature. And, and he, he had power, divine power, but he also, like, lived as a man. Jesus got zits. I know that's an, a weird thing to say, isn't it? But it's the truth, Right? Jesus had to take baths every once in a while. He probably got embarrassed. These are human things, right? Um, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because as the church, we serve a God who has experienced it, and we can experience it together. We can lean on each other. We can point to Jesus for each other, and that is fantastic. Jesus wept when Lazarus died, his friend Lazarus. He cried. So Jesus knows what it is to suffer when death happens. Even though he knows how the story ends and he brought the guy back to life, he wept and he mourned. Wow. Like, there's a God there you can relate to. And if you're going to be Jesus to the people around you, it's okay to be imperfect. Jesus was perfect, but we are imperfect people he came to die for, right? It's okay. In fact, it's beyond okay. It's a requirement because you open the door for other people to talk. I had a while when I was a, a youth pastor, I was going to start going to the Catholic Church to do confession because I so badly wanted to confess to someone else like how I was struggling with sin. I was like, man, i got to do this. But I couldn't do it with my pastor because I was afraid of him. And I couldn't do it with other believers because then they knew they would know like that I was a bad person, Right. Like, and I remember the first time I ever did it, it was like, like, have you ever been stuck underwater and you can't breathe? And suddenly you breathe again? It's like that. Watch out. 
that you do not lose what you have worked for. Mind you, when Paul or when John says this, this is a reference to your salvation, to your like relationship with Christ. Um, but it is also a reference to the church. There's also a reference to the, like the gospel having been advanced in these communities. But that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever continues in the teaching has both Father and the Son. Now I'm going to direct this at men again. I'm picking on men today. Look at your family right now. Don't look at me. I know I'm handsome. Look at your family. These are people, your job, your job, your job given to you by God as husband, father, whatever, like your job is to help these people know Jesus. Your children will know God better or worse based on how you live and what you do with them. Those of you who don't have families, look at the people around you. These are people who are struggling the same as you. Your job, men, is to point them to Jesus. How do we lose what we work for? By just not doing anything. You can raise kids who will not follow Jesus by not following Jesus yourself. You can. It's amazing. You can help the people around you abandon the church by not loving them the way Christ did and by not supporting them the way that like we're called to. You can do it. You can lose what you've worked for. But we don't want that. We continue to like be vigilant we stand together we're prepared we study the word so we can have answers men by the way there's another nasty response if your wife is asking me to answer bible questions instead of you you have studying to do because your job is to be able to answer questions right that's paul um you're supposed to know the word and you're supposed to be prepared and you're supposed to be mature so that you can pastor your family how do you lose what you worked for don't do this stuff. Just let it go. But you don't know my wife. I don't need to. <laughs> not my teaching. It's Jesus's. I'm just kind of sharing it. Um, we're not going to do that when we don't have time here. I'm sorry. I'm going long. I'm not sorry. I am going long. Um, <clears throat> if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying if a teacher comes to you and they come and they're teaching things that are about Jesus not coming in the flesh, don't endorse them. Right? We translate this into don't even hang out with them, don't talk to them, don't blah, blah, blah. In reality, what he's saying is, like, because most churches were house churches and they met in people's houses, do not invite people into your house and endorse them as teachers if they're not teaching, like, correct theology. Now, um, how do we apply this to our lives? How many of y'all have brought in, like, brought things into your life that do not reflect your values and you just are sort of comfortable with it? How many of y'all like watch movies on a regular basis that reflect like a very contrary perspective on the world? How many of y'all like like um, music or books or conversations or whatever? Like we bring things into our lives and like like again, this is men, we subtly endorse them, right? Like, oh well this is okay because it doesn't affect me, but your kids are watching. Your neighbor watches. Everybody knows. You can't hide it. And what John is talking about here is do not bring false teaching. Do not bring incorrectness into your life and endorse it. You just can't do it. Because if you do, like, that becomes a part of you. That's a frustrating idea. Because it means that we, like, actually have to try hard to live what we actually think we, we you know, is true. That's hard. 
Am I saying you can't watch movies and you can't dance and you can't? I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying we have to be selective and we have to be faithful in what we endorse and what we bring into our homes. Um, 13, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that you may, um, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, meaning another church, uh, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Um, and that is the end of Second John, the second shortest book in the Bible. Um, what do we do with this? Like, this is a letter that says, wake up and stand together. Right? Wake up, be prepared, walk with a guy next to you and take care of them. If you're messing up and hurting them, knock it off and make it right. If you're pretending to be perfect, knock it off and be real. If you love the person next to you, serve them. If you're a husband, you've got a big responsibility, right? You lead your family, you pastor your family, you teach your family. If you are not a husband, you have a big responsibility. You have a church to help take care of and to love and to care for. This is what God calls all of us to do, not just me. Um, my challenge for you this week is, Actually, i got a few. First off, men, my challenge for you is to pastor your family better this week. I'm going to give you one concrete thing to do. I want you once a day for the next seven days to pray with your wife. Wow, I heard a yes in there. Um, if she is upset, hug her and pray for her. If she seems tired, sit down and pray with her. If you're starting to argue, sit down, hold hands, and pray. <laughs> no, I, is this hard? It's actually super easy. How many of y'all do it? I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> I do it sometimes. But, like, that is a concrete thing to do. You want to pastor, you want to lead your family, that's it. If you are not a spouse, um, make it a point to get together with somebody around you, somebody you care about in this congregation, and talk with them. And be willing to say, you know what? I've been depressed this week. You know what? I struggle finding time to read the Bible. I have trouble praying more than five minutes because my attention span sort of drifts off. Sometimes I get frustrated with this. Sometimes I get frustrated with that. I am not perfect. Have real fellowship with another member of this church. One time this week. Easy assignment, right? One time. You can call me. (laughs) (laughs) But only during office hours. No. (laughs) Um. Everybody else, everybody else, everybody else, um, sit down and look at your practice and ask yourself, am I following Jesus? Am I walking in love or am I hanging out with my robe and slippers and cup of coffee and waiting for the army to run my family over or run my neighbor over or run me over? Like, or am I hiding stuff and thinking it'll be okay? And if any of those things end up in the wrong spot, fix it. Because, like... John's warning, you can lose it. You can lose it. It is losable. Everything is losable. And there are some things you just don't want to walk into heaven without, like your kids or your spouse or the guy sitting in the next pew like who struggles with pornography or resentment or anger or frustration or depression. You don't want to walk into heaven and stand before Jesus without these people. Like... People before you have worked hard to make this happen. People now are working hard to make this happen. Um, Let's close in prayer, and and we will 
um, get on with our day, right? Do what Jesus called us to do. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would just, Lord, people who are here, I pray that you would challenge them if they need challenging. I pray that you would crack away the nasty shell of like anonymous living and hiding from each other and fear of each other and help us to be real with each other. Help us to pour out our lives for each other and care for each other. Help us to serve each other by being imperfect in public and acknowledging that we're imperfect to each other and providing opportunity for us to talk and confess and lean on and be together. I pray that you would be with the men in this church, that they would care for the people around them, that they would pastor the people around them, and for husbands, that they would be what God calls them to be um, in their homes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, real quick, one last thing. I have an announcement. 